Hello, hello, Heat Nation. Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, the Miami Heat podcast for the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to bring you the latest on our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. Coming off a perfect 4-0 week, Miami unfortunately would not remain perfect, having a 2-1 week. But despite the loss that was in there, there were still some encouraging signs, more specifically how they responded in the game after, but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. First, the Heat were at the Mavericks on Tuesday. This is a game that they won 115-100. to Bam Adebayo did play, so this breaks the streak of Bam holding opponents below 100 points in regulation time. Regardless, though, still a team win. Always good. Uh, this game was interesting, though, mainly just because the, the Mavericks have, obviously, Luka Doncic, who's just uh, an absolutely superstar player, but their offense lately has been more so trying to get the ball out of Doncic's hands early in the game so that by later in the game he still has the energy to close. So Miami instead kind of forced the offense to run through Doncic early, and yeah, it worked. Uh, Doncic is amazing. So the Mavs were actually up 30-24 to after the first quarter. But Miami would take it all back with a 46-point second quarter to take a 70-62 to lead at halftime. Just Everything was absolutely going for Miami. Most specifically, Tyler Hero, who we'll talk about a little bit more, was just incendiary in the second quarter. And, yeah, big lead for Miami. And then coming out they into the third, they pushed the lead back up to double digits and kind of held that until the fourth quarter. The Mavs were able to cut it down to about six early in the fourth quarter. And then we saw why they usually want Doncic to conserve his energy for the fourth instead of using it all up uh, early in the first because the Mavs went almost five minutes without getting a bucket. And by the time that they did, they were down 15. And at that point, Miami were just was just able to coast to an easy win. But yeah, the way Miami handled Doncic was definitely one of the big keys to the game. So like for most of the game, Miami was using about six different defenders on him. They were constantly rotating who was going to pick him up on the half court. So that was like the key. Like this wasn't just they were putting the same defender on him and then they were just being happy to switch screens. And then that's how so many defenders know. He was getting picked up sometimes by Jimmy Butler, sometimes by Tyler Hero, sometimes by Kyle Lowry. So Doncic, one, obviously he's having he's going up against fresher defenders because they're constantly rotating. And then two, he's having to expend energy in different ways. He doesn't know what kind of defender he's going to go up against, so then he's going to, have to expend energy um, trying to figure out how to break down that defender. But yeah, the defensive game plan was superb. And sure, you know, like we mentioned earlier, they got down 30 to 24 in the first quarter. But by the time the fourth quarter came around, Doncic was just worn down, and then the result, uh, without Doncic, they don't really have much of an offense, which is, again, one of their big problems, and it results in a fourth quarter where they go five minutes without a basket, which also still credit to Miami's defense, but also credit to their game plan over the course of the entire game. On the offensive end for Miami, though, they had a really balanced attack between, like, I guess what you could call, like, a big four showing, if you will. Like, I don't think that name's really going to stick, but sure, when Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, and Jimmy Butler are all scoring over 20 points in the same game, it's at least kind of like a big four showing. As I said, though, uh, Kyle Lowry had 22 points on 6-9 and nine from 3, and some of those were just ridiculous pull-up shots. I didn't know that he could hit, especially after the first few games of the season where it looked like he was struggling. So, great time to have a regression for Kyle Lowry. Uh, Jimmy Butler, 23 points. 
most of it being done at the free throw line where he went 15 of 17. So, yeah, again, it's not that you can't get big attempts at the line. You just have to actually, you know, earn the fouls rather than just trying to bait defenders into drawing fouls. And that was why they did the rule change. I digress. Um, Bam had a bio, 22 points on 8-18 from the field and 6-7 from the line. So a little bit of an inefficient game for Bam. But Tyler here arguably had the biggest game, 25 points, 11-20 from the field, 3-6 from 3, and at times was almost going like bucket for bucket with Doncic on both ends of the floor. And yeah, Tyler here is not quite, you know, obviously at Doncic's level, who's running an entire offense and doing it at a superstar level, but... Those times that he can go toe-to-toe with those kinds of players, at least in like a bucket-to-bucket sense, that just is going to improve Miami's ceiling overall. But, yeah, Mavs win, great, and then they moved on to, unfortunately, a game that we had to talk about against the bo- where they hosted the Boston Celtics on Thursday. This was a game Miami lost 78-95, uh, to which, on the, on the one side, you know, there's still held them under 100 <laughs> But on the other side, um, yeah, obviously not a very good offensive night. And this is also a game that Kyle Lowry played, so they also broke their streak of games winning with Kyle Lowry. Although I guess, like, technically he did uh, get injured a little bit in, like, the third quarter, and so he got left and obviously didn't play any of the fourth quarter. So I guess, like, technically we could say that the Heat have still won in games where Kyle Lowry has at least been available to close the game. But, yeah, no, no, we're kind of reaching at this point. Back on subject, though, um, this was a game where Miami did have a bit of a solid start, a little bit low scoring for them, only 24 points in the first quarter, but the defense was still there, held Boston under 18. Unfortunately, the second quarter is where everything just came completely apart. They were outscored 33-9, to and it was the obviously the nine points that Miami scored that really put them in a big hole, 51-33 to at halftime. So, just to... If you don't remember, like, from a few minutes ago, Miami scored 46 points in just the second quarter against the Mavs. And then this game, they didn't even score. They even break 40 in an entire first half, which, very poor, very poor night. And some credit to Boston's defense. Like, their defense did do a, a solid job, but really a lot of it looked just to be bad passes from Miami just they didn't quite have the same zip or the same connection as you know they've shown in the first few games the shots themselves looked a little bit off and yeah sometimes that just happens with games where where teams just have off nights and uh, kudos to the Celtics to themselves for taking advantage of it Miami would however come out into the at the start of the third quarter and were able to kind of like chip themselves away and they got it to 8 with it, with two minutes left to go in the third, so this is still at that point like it's still a game. So even with how bad they got obliterated in the first half, specifically the second quarter, they were almost in position to take it back. Um, yeah, if not in the third, at least go, at least have an opportunity in the fourth. But their shooting dried up, and the Celtics took advantage to go on an eleven to one run to close out the third, which obviously put them back up by double digits. And at that point, in the fourth quarter, Jason Tatum, who had been literally scoreless up until the fourth quarter, was able to break open uh, and essentially close the game for Boston. Miami never got close and never got within double digits in the fourth. And, yeah, they put in the reserves with, like, four minutes left. So, overall, like I said, it was just a really bad off night. Uh, bad, just a bad night overall. 
Kyle Lowry uh, tweaked his ankle, so there was some suspicion he, you know, might not be playing at least a Saturday. He did end up playing, which we'll get to that in a little bit. But the at, at the night Thursday itself, it was Kyle Lowry looked bad. The shoot, like the the turnovers were just terrible. They had uh, he had eighteen turnovers overall. And the Celtics definitely took advantage of that. They had um, at least double-digit points off our turnovers. So it goes back to like what I was saying before, where like Miami's defense still did a pretty good job overall. They held them below 100. They held Jason Tatum's one of the best scorers in the league, scoreless until the fourth quarter. And they also kind of gave them a bunch of freebies with all the turnovers. Uh, they didn't win the, pos- the rebounding battle either, so slight rebounding edge to Boston there as well. Um, but yeah, they they did definitely kind of give some opportunities to them. And they also were Miami was not shooting well from three at all. Nobody really could hit threes. Uh, Miami finished nine of 41, 22 percent. Uh, Hero zero four. Lowry two of seven. Butler took four attempts just to try to get something going. Went zero four. PJ Tucker one of five. But the worst was Duncan Robinson, who I think went his first five shots making and then missed his next 12 if that was the case um he finished five to finish five to 17 overall and yeah there was definitely points in the third fourth quarter when yeah especially most of the fourth quarter when the game was clearly out of hand where robinson was still out there just getting shots up just to try to see if he could at least you know get one to fall and try to break out of this rut but yeah it's been a bit bad for robinson so bad for that uh, bad shooting, bad turnovers, Larry injury, just bleh. At least the defense was still legit, and some credit to the Boston Celtics, whose defense legitimately looked good. But overall, that game felt more like it was Miami having an off night than it was like the Celtics, uh, you know, like really outplaying them. Like I probably would have put it like seventy Miami messing up, thirty Celtics uh, playing a really good game. But for Miami, this then becomes the question of, okay, you have an off night. How do you respond? And more so, it's how do you respond when your next game is against one of the best teams in the league, the Utah Jazz? And on Saturday, the response that Miami had was to win that game 118 to 115. Uh, this was a pretty fun game overall, I, I personally thought. Uh, it was pretty well contested first quarter. Miami did was up 27-24 going to the second at least. They were able to pull it up to around 10 for most of the second quarter, but then the Jazz themselves did a good job of closing and getting back into the game to keep it at least close at halftime, 55-52. Miami would then go up again like around 10 early into the third quarter, and then the Jazz came back to tie it at 74 with about three minutes left. So a lot of like Miami would like you know build a little bit of a lead, and then the Jazz would do a run to get, to get bring right back into it. Um, and then, if obviously, for the first half and the third quarter. The Heat did respond in the third, though, by going on a 13-4 run to take a 87-78 lead going to the fourth, where the Heat were able to then push it as much as 19-point lead about halfway through the fourth quarter. And then the Jazz just went on an absolutely furious run, primarily powered by former Heat center Hassan Whiteside. And they were almost able to tie it but Jimmy Butler, and with a little bit of Tyler Hero as well, were able to close the game out for what was a close win. So the big story of this game, though, was how Miami kind of neutralized Rudy Gobert, the def- reigning defensive player of the year, which they did a lot through a, a good amount of a good healthy amount of Bam range shots. So great to see 
Bam, like looking more comfortable taking that shot. It's specifically something that I, I've thought of as a bit of a problem for him where against smaller players, he's kind of figured out how to you know, power through them just because he's stronger than them. But against players that are bigger than him is where, like Brooke Lopez is also a great example. That's where I've seen Bam struggle more. And that the counter to somebody like that then is to kind of pull them away a little bit from the basket and knock them down with the mid-range shot. And this was a game where Bam was like, okay, this is what needs to be done. And he did it. And it worked because Rudy Gobert quite literally was taken out of the closing lineup uh, for Hassan Whiteside instead, who I guess is a maybe a little bit more mobile. Uh, I don't know. I haven't watched Hassan since he left the Heat, admittedly, uh, for good reason. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's also just playing with a bit more of an edge because he was against his former team. But it worked, uh, and the Jazz almost got back into this game. Kyle Lowry did play despite the Thursday injury and actually ended up having a triple-double, 20 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, while going a nice 3 of 5 from 3. So, yeah, he came in, obviously had a very productive game, uh, was able to fill out the box score. Jimmy Butler, 27 points, 3 rebounds, 6 assists, uh, 5 of 6 on the line. So uh, just another great scoring night for Jimmy Butler, who is kind of going back and forth a little bit with Tyler Hero to be the Heat's leading scorer. Duncan Robinson did continue his struggles, unfortunately, went 1 of 5 uh, from 3. He did come out in, like, the third quarter and was never put back in, unfortunately. Uh, Tyler Hero, though, another great game, went 29 points, 2 rebounds, 3 assists, while shooting 11 of 18 from the field, and 6 of 8 from 3, so just lighting it up there. Dropped 14 points himself in the fourth quarter to help build Miami that big lead, and then kind of just a few more points. I think it was like a free throw and a mid-range shot like down the stretch just to give Miami enough to uh, secure the win. A great bounce-back win as well. So, yes, on the one hand, they almost choked away the lead, but on the other hand, the Jazz had shown pretty much all night that they were able to go on runs to counter and pull themselves back into the game with Miami. They'd already done it twice beforehand, so the only really surprising part was that I, I they were doing it with Hassan Whiteside instead of Rudy Gobert. Um, but enough on that. Miami finishes the week 2-1. That puts their overall record at 7-2. They are still near the tops of the East right now, even though it is still November and the playoffs are five months away. As for now, though, the Heat find themselves going on what looks to be a pretty rough uh, Western road trip. They've got, uh, well, first off, coming up this week, they've got four teams that all made the playoffs in the West last year, and then the fifth team is the Thunder, so obviously that, that the, the end of the trip is not that bad, but this upcoming week is especially bad uh, at Nuggets, at Lakers, at Clippers, and then at Jazz, who they just saw. Which, yeah, definitely rough. But personally, I like that Miami is having these kinds of challenges early in the season. Um, part of it is, you know, the more away games we play early, the more home games we have later on, which, you know, can kind of help as you jostle for position. So, But it also means you know, you're getting the rough parts of your schedule out of the way early versus having to do them later on when you might also be jostling for position. But just overall, it's also nice to see how the team responds to these kinds of challenges early on to kind of give you a bit of a better idea what kind of team you have so like so for example like Miami they've had a lot of good signs overall I mean sure they're seven and two but you also kind of got to look at the quality of that seven and two it would be very different if say 
uh, like the two losses we had to were to the Nets and to the Bucks, where we got blown out by 40 points. And then the seven wins we had were, you know, against like the Magic um, and the Thunder and the Rockets and like these bottom dwelling teams. You'd be like, sure, you're seven and two, but your wins aren't very good and your losses were really bad. But Miami seven and two, I think actually kind of looks um, somewhat legit. At least it profiles, in my opinion, to a team that should be, you know, like a home court team, like a top four seat. So you think the show that they were able to take care of opponents, like good opponents, though they were hobbled, such as like the Nets and the Bucks, which, yeah, both of those teams were at 100%, but that only meant that if they were not at 100%, they couldn't even compete with Miami. Miami still handled them. Great. Uh, Miami was also take, able to take care of teams that on paper they should beat, like, for example, the Magic and... I would also probably include the Mavs in there as well because, like, sure, they have Luka Doncic, but on paper it's, you know, what Miami did. Like, defend them, force Doncic to expend a lot of energy early on, and then just wait for the collapse in the fourth. And then it's can you handle, can you handle like, a young athletic team trying to make a comeback on you, like the Hornets took care of that. Can you then go on a back-to-back against another really young team uh, like the Memphis Grizzlies, and come up with the one like, sure, we'll do that while also blowing them out. Uh, this week, it would have been nice for like the Celtics win, just from the perspective of like, can you take care of an opponent that is showing like some dissension within themselves? Like, sure, they kind of righted the ship a little bit with the game against the Magic, but this was still a Celtics team that looked poised to almost like collapse, um, you know, early on in the season. And all Miami would have needed to do was score more than 95 points to do it. You know, that was that was definitely a, a game where the Miami that we have seen for most of the season wins that pretty handily. So on the one hand, it's like, okay, all right. They showed for that specific point that they couldn't uh, take care of an opponent, that they, they are mortal, they can have off nights and things like that. So now the question then became, can you bounce back from a game like that to beat so many big like the Jazz. So like I mentioned earlier, not only is that probably the best team that I say that they've beaten all so far this season because most of the other really great teams that they beat, you know, were kind of hobbled. Um, like, like the Nets and the Bucks. So all hands were on deck for that Jazz game. So like they legitimately beat one of the best teams in the league. And they did that, you know, uh, uh, coming off of a night where they did really, really bad beforehand. So that's what like kind of made this... Almost like a like a. Now obviously, each win's only worth one. But if you were to assign some sort of like weight to it, that get that felt like a game and a half win because it was also the comeback and also a, a, the who they were go, coming back against. And the scary part to all of this is that they're doing this with Duncan Robinson still relatively in a slump. You know, like from a season perspective. So yeah, he did have one uh, good game. I think it was against the Memphis Grizzlies. He went like five of ten. And there was some hope this was him breaking out. Unfortunately, he still regressed the following week. Uh, like I said, in that Celtics game, he went 5 of 17. And yeah, overall, it's still, he's still slumping quite a bit. So, like, just uh, for perspective, compared to, say, like last year, uh, which was still a down year from the year before, but just focusing on last year versus this year, like his catch and shoot numbers are down. He was shooting 41.7% on, like, about six and a half three point attempts a game. Now that's down to 29% on 6.9 three-point attempts a game. So a little bit higher volume, but way worse efficiency. And of those, it, what's really interesting is how his percentages look based upon like how close a defender is. 
So, for example, like, if the defender is really tight on him, which is usually, like, about two to four feet away, um, his numbers have gone from, like, shot about 38% on three attempts. That's gone down to about 28% also on about three attempts. So, I mean, that it's kind of fair. That's tight coverage, but that went down. That's not good. His open, which is when he, the defender, the closest defender is four to six feet away, that numbers have gone from 41% on three-and-a-half attempts to 38% on about four attempts. So that's also gone down. And then the most glaring is the wide open, where he was shooting 48% on about two attempts a game, and that's down to 29% on one-and-a-half attempts. So like beforehand, last year, you looked at um, the how far away the defender was, and it kind of followed what you would expect it would. You know, the further the defender away, the more accurate he got from 38% to 41% to 48% when they were really far away. This year, it's actually gotten worse once it's gone to wide open. So 28% tight, 38% open, 29% wide open. And I have to imagine at least like the wide open has to come back up at some point. So he... Robinson does seem poised for a massive uh, return to the norm. It's just still one of those things where, like, every week it continues to happen. It's just like a a tiny little notch more that you have to start getting a little bit more worried. But, again, we're not even 10 games in so far, so plenty of time for, for that regression to the norm for Robinson. And, yeah, when that does happen, Miami might... Be I mean they're not, obviously not twenty seventeen Warriors unstoppable, but they'll be a shade similar to like really hard to stop just because of the movement and the shooting. But um, yeah, I'm here. I am drawing twenty seventeen Warriors comparisons because I just watched a video on them. Uh, the Heat are not that good, but we can try to make facsimiles, and that's good enough. But while Robinson continues to find his uh, stroke, at least we have Tyler Hero here just to light things up. So yeah, another great week for Hero. And kind of what I wanted to highlight this week around, uh, during the Mavs game, when Hero was kind of going bucket to bucket for Doncic, one of the things the announcers brought up was this quote from the beginning of the season where Tyler Hero being interviewed was asked like how he sees himself. And he said that he sees himself in the same category of rising star as, like, John Morant uh, from the Memphis Grizzlies, Trey Young from the Atlanta Hawks, or Luka Doncic, who he is playing that very night, who plays for the Dallas Mavericks. And, yeah, admittedly, like, especially at the start of the season when this quote first came out, I kind of understood anybody that would, like, cock an eyebrow and, and you know, be like, oh, Tyler Hero is coming off like a cocky shit because he played badly last year, so why are you trying to draw comparisons to players like Doncic, who I personally think has like all-time potential, um, multiple all-stars seem a given. All multiple All-NBA seems a given, as long as he stays healthy. To me, it's more so the question of like how high in all-time status is he going to get? While well, like uh, Trey Young and John Morant look poised to at least have like multiple All-Star type careers, with um, probably solid chances of getting into the Hall of Fame, just because uh, NBA Hall of Fame is pretty pretty open uh, but yeah those are kind of where he's comparing himself to which is one guy that looks on course for hall of fame and two more that are like maybe probables for hall of fame so he sees himself at that level and early on in the season it, it was very easy to talk a lot of shit 
now, I mean, it's at the very least he's knocking on the door. Like, sure, he's coming off the bench. He's not leading these teams from like a usage ball dominating kind of starting perspective, like Morant, Doncic, and Young do. But he's able to go almost like bucket for bucket for them on stretches. Like we saw this against the Mavs for a little stretch of time, he was able to go bucket for bucket with Doncic, which. Sure, the the breadth of the responsibilities is is quite different, and the announcers were definitely right to point that out. At the same time, though, Hero is still rising to the challenge and succeeding. Like he was able to to help stymie some of what Doncic was doing by being able to match him, and ultimately it did lead to a Miami Heat win, and that's what matters the most in the end. And if I were to give Hero like some benefit of the doubt for that quote, I think that's kind of what he meant from the sense of like to have that level of success. Because uh, with that level of success and with the way that Hero plays more specifically, he could still have multiple. He could still have a multiple All Star career uh, like John Morant or Trey Young. It really depends upon uh, whether or not he's able to eventually push into being more of a starter and still keep his scoring efficiencies. But for now, he's still thriving in his six-man role. And where he's really, like, knocking on the door, I think, is more so just in being a shot creator. So for Hero, there's been a massive reduction in the percentage of his field goals that are assisted on, both in twos and threes, which essentially just means that he's having to make a lot more of those shots himself. He's doing a lot of that through mainly, like, mid-range stuff, like short pull-ups and floaters. He overall he's reduced the amount of like long twos he's ma- he's taking, which is good because long twos are still probably the worst shots, uh, just because at that that distance you're usually better off just taking another step back and making it a three. Uh, speaking of, he's doing that at like career high level right now, over forty percent. Even though he's actually his three point attempt rate, so the amount of three pointers he's taken is also at a career low rate, uh, because he's supplementing a lot more shots in that kind of like sweet spot mid range. Just like, you know, right around the elbows, uh, low blocks, things like that. And he's seeking that stuff out with a level of aggression that's really forcing defenses to have to respect him as a scorer, which has made it a little bit easier for him to then pass and, you know, make some decent assist numbers. But, uh, yeah, overall, it, it's just improved his game. Allowing him to just be that six man and focus on scoring has proven to make him a legitimate scorer. He's averaging over 20 a game and he's having outbursts where he's doing 25 29 while at the same time being able to go bucket to bucket with some of the biggest superstars in the league which yeah kind of goes to show you what happens when you actually have a full off season to get your body right get it better and improve on skills versus just having two months um, coming off of a finals appearance so if Hero continues, like if this legitimately just ends up being Hero as he is for the rest of the season, just, you know, like low 20 points per game scorer that can just go off at times, then shoot, we got our sixth man of the year. And then, yeah, just need to get Duncan Robinson just to get that stroke going a little bit. And Miami, I would say, is pretty much a lock for a top four finish, which would be great going into the playoffs, which are, again, about five months away. So... Quite a ways to go still. Up next for Miami, though, as I kept alluding to, is a very rough Western road trip. Up first, they are going to be at the Nuggets Monday tonight. The Nuggets are currently 5-4. and four. They've had some great wins over the Mavs and the Suns, uh, but they have also had some wins where, like, where they've barely beaten the Rockets and the Timberwolves 
and they have had some pretty bad losses to like the Cavs and the Grizzlies. So this is a team that was already coming into the year without Jamal Murray until like March, April. So they were kind of going to be in just fight to keep playoff seeding kind of mode for the season. And yeah, they've been struggling um, accordingly. Tonight for this game, Michael Porter Jr., their other like really good young scorer that's alongside Jokic, will be out. So that does bode well in Miami's favor. Unfortunately, the Nuggets still have the reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic, and a solid Aaron Gordon, who has at times given Miami problems. So I don't think this... Oh, and also home court advantage. Can't forget that they're in the Mile High City, which is historically really rough to play in. At least this isn't the second night of a back-to-back. Miami, for like a few years, had this thing where their game against Denver would always come on the second night of a back-to-back. And yeah, Denver, because it's a mile high in the air, you need like a day or so just to adjust to the altitude. So having to play one night, jump on a plane, get into Denver, and then play at that altitude like literally the next night, it's just absolutely brutal. So at least Miami didn't have to do this on the back-to-back, but they still have to deal with the altitude while the Nuggets are used to it. And yeah, that's why like between that and Nikola Jokic, who is legitimately, I think pretty almost easily, the best offensive center in the game right now, I still make this kind of like a 50-50 game where I could see the Nuggets still beating the Heat, in part because Jokic usually gives Bam problems just because Jokic is like a few inches taller than Bam because unfortunately Bam's only like 6'9", Jokic is like 6'11", sometimes 7", and he's got really good touch. And it's just, he is such a hard cover for anybody, so... Even for, like, to say that he gives somebody, like, BAM problems, it's like, yeah, Jokic gives everybody problems. But more so specifically, the way that Jokic plays is a bit harder on BAM because he's not beating BAM with athleticism. He's beating him with just skill and a little bit more height, and that's just that's just a rough matchup for BAM. So that's going to be one of the highlights because unlike Doncic, who you can put a lot of people on because there's not that big of a size difference, uh, there's only so many people that you can put on Jokic. So it'll be like Bam, Deadman, uh, maybe P.J. Tucker just from a position, like if there's a switch or something like that. But yeah, Jokic is going to be the biggest problem for Miami this game. He usually is, but if they can contain him, that will go a lot towards you know winning this game because Jokic usually is passing to people like Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. to score. And if he doesn't have those outlets, you can put a little bit more on him. And yes, he's an incredible passer, but who he's passing to is not quite the caliber that he's had in the last few years. So it's kind of like, okay, Jokic is the kind of person that likes to pass first, so make him pass first because who he's passing to make that person then beat you because... I think that's a bit of a better option than just trying to let Jokic go off for 30 or 40. After the Nuggets, Miami will be at the Los Angeles Lakers on Wednesday. The Lakers currently 5-5. Five five. They've had some decent wins against Grizzlies, Cavs, and the Rockets twice. Actually, that's not really that decent. That's kind of meh. Uh, Spurs in overtime. Spurs are not a great team. They have had some pretty solid losses to like the Warriors, the Suns. They've lost to the Thunder twice, the Blazers. So... Not a great start for the Los Angeles Lakers. I know LeBron James is currently injured. He will probably be out against the Heat. Um, I mean, like most of the th- 
most of the stuff I've seen people talk about say pretty confidently he'll be out. I just haven't seen any like actual confirmation that he will officially be out. And then there's also the question of whether or not Anthony Davis, he's questionable for the game that they are playing tonight where they host the Charlotte Hornets. So I would imagine at worst he'll probably be available uh, in the game against Wednesday. Still, though, if LeBron's not there and all they have to do is just bait Russell Westbrook into taking, like, 20 pull-up long twos or threes, then, yeah, go for it. Play hero ball, Westbrook, um, and keep the ball away from Anthony Davis. I do think this would... uh, This is the one that I think Miami has, at least in terms of for the next week, because we're not counting the Thunder. That'll be the following week. But for this upcoming week with the four games that are on, this is, I think, the best chance for Miami to win a game. I would actually be surprised if they lose this game just because they'll have the night off. They're going up against somebody that, like, does not have a lot of good wins. And the, the game plan seems pretty clear that you make Westbrook play hero ball. So I expect this to be a solid win for Miami. After that, Miami does have a back-to-back where they then go up against the Los Angeles Clippers. Notice the part where it says Los Angeles because that means they don't actually have to go anywhere after the game Wednesday night. They just stay in Los Angeles for the following night where they go up against the Clippers. So on the one hand, yes, there's still the exhaustion factor because they are playing on the second night of a back-to-back. On the other hand, though, they don't have to travel anywhere at least, and that's going to make getting rest easier. So it's not ideal, but it's a step in the right direction. And, you know, it's very rare that you have a back-to-back unless you're at home where you have conditions like that. But the Clippers are currently 5-4. and four. They've actually stomped the Blazers, the Hornets, Wolves, they did beat the Wolves and Thunders in uh, separate times. They lost to the Blazers, Cavs, Grizzlies, Warriors, uh, although they are currently on a four-game winning streak. So they've been able to right the ship quite a bit. Uh, they have the Blazers on Tuesday, but then they'll have Wednesday off to rest and then play uh, Miami. So this is a team that currently is without Kawhi Leonard, kind of like we saw with the Nuggets. Kawhi's probably going to come back like March, April-ish, in a best-case scenario. So the Clippers mainly are just trying to hold the fort till then. They've, you know, like I said, they've got on a four-game win streak, so they're starting to get in into position for that. And a lot of that's been behind Paul George. He's really picked it up. He's doing 27 points, uh, sorry, averaging 27 points, eight rebounds, five assists, shooting 46 from the field, 36 from three, 88 from the line. So he's been really good. They don't have like any other like really good scores after that outside of like maybe Reggie Jackson nobody at least that scored um averaging 20 points a game so you know game plan seems slow down Paul George we do have some players that can do that between you know Bam and Jimmy Butler and I think if Miami can slow them down they have a him specifically they have a pretty good chance of taking this game the only things that make me nervous is this being the second night of a back to back where I wouldn't be surprised if Miami, like, if, if somebody is a little bit dinged up or something like that, maybe they just try to rest somebody instead uh, for that back-to-back and after trying to secure the win against the Lakers on Wednesday. But to finish up, they will finish on Saturday at the familiar Utah Jazz, who are currently 7-3 of because they also lost to the Orlando Magic last night in what was an insane game. But they're still the Jazz, and they'll be at home. They're actually in a home stand this week. They host the Hawks on Tuesday, then the Pacers on Thursday, and then they have the Heat on Saturday. So they're going to be well-rested. They might have a little bit of a chip after we beat them last Saturday. Honestly, I would probably expect this one to be a loss. 
mainly just because they have home court. Mine will now be a week out on this road trip, and I think the Jazz will want to even the series score. Still, though, if Miami can at least grab one of either the Nuggets or the Clippers and then obviously pick up that Lakers, they'd at least finish the week 2-2. Two and two. And on a road trip like this, that's still really encouraging. Obviously, I want them to go like 3-1 or 4-0, and but I think realistically, 2-2 two and two is probably where I would set like the low bar, and then 3-1 and one would be like, okay, great. I don't even mind that loss to the Jazz. That's a really tough one. And then, you know, next week, we'll just have to finish up against the Thunder. And... Please don't blow a game against the Thunder. That, that would be so Miami Heat of old. Uh, but that'll be all for this week's episode. Uh, be sure to follow the pod online at Heaters Heating and myself at KBR Heat Nation. I'm trying to do a bit more uh, stuff from the Heaters Heating during games. So uh, any feedback on that would be appreciated. But also be sure to check out the other great pods at OTG Basketball. The outlet's always one of my favorites. But I'll be back next week. So until then, uh, stay heating and hope you have a good one.